0: You're listening to the Hard Money Podcast, hosted by the economic activist himself, founder of Rad Diversified, CEO of Tax Auction Investors, and the visionary behind the American Survivalist Project, Dutch Mendenhall. All right, well, welcome everybody to the Hard Money Podcast. I'm here with Rachel Neighbors. Um, We have been friends and business colleagues and associates and doing business together for quite some time. And I really enjoy her spirit energy and and just her ability to see things um, in a like-minded way. And I think you guys are going to have a lot of fun listening to today's podcast. She's got cool art behind her. Um, Just let me give you guys a quick, you know, a little bit of insight into Rachel, just a quick quick bio thing, right? We're we're very like-minded when it comes to how the world works and when it comes to um, even spirituality, when it comes to um, our beliefs when it comes to the survival part of the world and different things. Um, Rachel you know, runs and is a part of running with Jeff, her husband, um, the Neighbors Group, which is a solo 401k, a 401k company. But really, it's about empowering people, right? Empowering people with their money, with their wealth in um, a ton of different ways, right? They provide a specific service, but it goes so far beyond that. And they're, you know, the thought leaders, um, they run their own uh, investment fund too, right? In um, the crypto world, right? And that's actually a topic that I'd love to talk to you about today too, because I have some thoughts on on crypto and different things, um, even though that's not our, our, our gambit, right? I was, like, I was like, for me, like crypto's over here in like the 99 percentile of high risk for me, right? I don't get it or understand it, but we've owned Bitcoin for years, right? Um, almost a decade, um, we've owned crypto, right? And so it's it's kind of kind of fascinating, you know, that that it's grown so much because yeah. I put it in that buy it and forget about it forever. But, mm-hmm. but hi, Rachel. I'm hey, just yapping John. over here.
1: Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for having me. It's so good to be here with you.
0: Good. It's, it's fun to be coming out of this Corona stuff. It's oh, really man, I'm good. ready.
1: I'm ready to get back to real life again.
0: We see it like I always talk to my team about like the conscious nature of the country. Right. And we're seeing it in like the, um, the chat forums and the product buying and the attitude of people that like people are really optimistic. Like what are you guys seeing on your end and stuff?
1: We're definitely seeing that too. Yeah. I think, you know, this was a real wake up call for people. Um, You know, there's a lot of theories on how this whole coronavirus started and could it be from a lab? Could it be something that just it's time had come because pandemics do happen to, you know, the global population every hundred years or so. I don't know. Biden
0: came out about that today. No. Yeah. He came out and made a statement. He said, uh, he said, I want it investigated. He goes, there's, he goes, there's two theories. Right. And one is the Wuhan lab. Right. Theory. Right. Um, Right. And um the other theory is the nat- natural nature right way of yep. it happening right um and i mean i'm not a uh, an evolutionist right i don't know I, maybe that's wrong i don't i'm not an evolutionology right i don't study evolution right and right. and uh but in my small knowledge of evolution it doesn't happen overnight
1: no i mean look i think that you know it depend how, however deep you want to go, like beginning thousands and thousands of years yeah. ago with agriculture, canning of food, you know, plumbing situations where people are living in the uh, condensed area, that's going to inevitably create some types of disease, right? Mm-hmm. So we've seen these pandemics happen every hundred years or so. We were about due. Now, did this pandemic result just from changes in our biology where we were ready for our 100-year pandemic, um, where we were due for one, or was this something that came out of this lab? I don't know, I'm, I'm glad that they're looking into it. Um, I am all for science, I'm a big you know, tech geek, and I think we have to respect that we don't always know what we're playing with. And that can cause things like diseases to escape from labs or be released from labs, which can really put a lot of people in danger.
0: I mean, how scary is if something actually was released from a lab that it was Corona, we should actually be thankful, right? Compared to what could be released because there's so many, so many things that are even worse. Yeah.
1: Absolutely, and I mean we we you 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 really hit the nail on the head there. I think that we are so lucky that in 2021 we haven't had massive biological warfare at this point. We're lucky that that's just sort of a gentleman's agreement through you know nations around the world or whatever. So if this was a testing ground for that or something that went awry, again I don't know, um, but. I think that we actually escaped relatively unscathed for having gone through this, you know, massive global pandemic.
0: I mean, there's certain things that I think are a part, like when I think of like, there's a certain God parameters, right? And so like when I look at a one, two, three-year-old, right? And the only way I think they survive to being five years old is because of God. Because if I see the amount of ways that a (laughs) three-year-old can just you know they're gumbies, they're rubber right sure but But you're on suicide watch
1: right for these little ones
0: and so i'm like but sometimes i think of like the only thing that like they can say it's a gentleman's agreement sometimes i think the only thing holding that back is is a is a greater framework but sure it's interesting because because you know i you can dive deep into the rabbit hole right so i you know i don't know like vanessa has taken over as um Director, my Vanessa's, you know, my wife. For those of you first time listening to the podcast, I know you know Rachel. You know her better than you know me. Um, (laughs) The interesting thing is, so she's taken over as director of volunteers for uh, CHD, which is Children's um, Health Defense, and it's medical rights. So pretty strong on vaccination rights, right? Your your right to not vaccinate, or your right to vaccinate, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, we were at a dinner on a, a charity dinner on Saturday night, and they were talking about. You know like, like they they've, they've there's different lawsuits that they filed as an organization with fauci um and with gates and other things and they were talking about how the research for the coronavirus vaccine started before the pandemic and that they can prove that the research wow for the vaccine started from the pandemic so that's pretty scary when you think about that potential possibility right um Absolutely. Yeah, that was that was that, that kind of that, that weirded me out. And then they've they filed a suit on it. Um and it's it's yeah, it's it's pretty crazy. It's the same lawyers that won the Monsanto suit, um mm-hmm. the $10 billion suit against the um the pesticide the pesticide companies and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I mean they're pretty serious. Like when they go after it, they they go after it pretty serious. So it's interesting.
1: Yeah, there is this real delicate balance, right, between sovereignty over your own body and then you know, trying to do what's best for the community around you. And I I don't know if there's any one right answer there. I do know, though, that I I really am a strong believer in, in sovereignty over your own body. I think that you should be allowed to make the decision of what goes into your body. And similarly, I think that if you are someone that um, for some reason, either elects not to have a vaccine or can't have one, then you're responsible also for protecting yourself. I think that that idea of sovereignty um, and responsibility is something that we've lost a lot of, you know, in the last 20, 30 years.
0: You know, the cancel culture is also scary when it comes to the vaccine too, because even sharing your opinions about it can be can be very, you know, frightening if they decide to fight it. But, you know, I even look at someone was, we were, I've been in different states recently where you don't have to wear a mask. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Florida, Texas, um, Idaho. Right. And then Arizona. I come back, come back to, and I came back to California and I'm like, you know, and I was, you know, first place I walked into, I was asked to put on a mask and I don't, somebody asked me to put on a mask. I don't fight it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I don't believe necessarily in, in the mask um, mandate, Um, I still think that's a part of our own rights as people Um, but I also don't believe in the science behind it at all either so um, like if you look at Florida which was the first state I mean pretty much the last state to have any kind of mask rules and first state not to have mask rules and you look at Texas right and their mask rules and some of the other states their statistics are better than states that had mask rules early all the way through and the more harder lockdown states had way worse statistics than some of the non-harder lockdown states so there's yeah you know it's 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 weird because like I'm um, there's that easy to dive into that rabbit hole like the darkness, but then at the same time like you're out there helping people build wealth, and I am too, like that that balance game between dreams and future and the dark scary like how do you how do you deal with that even with yourself you know as, even a, you know as a business owner as a wife as sure. a mom like everything
1: well and I also think you know you bring up a really interesting point and I think it it is about picking your battles, right? You know, if I am going into a store and they say that they prefer that I wear a mask, that's not a battle. I feel like I have to, you know, die on that on that hill. If that's what that business owner or, and first of all, if it's a private business and that's their right to ask me to wear a mask, I I completely believe in in um, the private businesses to be able to say you don't have to wear a mask. You do need to wear a mask. So if a private business says, hey, this is the decision that we've made, I'm happy to adhere to that. If I want to pay with my vote with my dollars in that store, that's not a hill that I need to die on. But I also think that you know, as a business owner, an entrepreneur you know, an investor, my mental energy, I want to free up my mental energy for other decisions, for other things that are going to be, you know, maybe more important to me in that moment than just putting on a mask to go into a grocery store or something like that. So, you know, it's different for each person, what their, what their, um, again, it's back to that sovereignty and personal responsibility, what each person really is standing for. And, and for me, I just, I have other stuff that that I'm focused on so if you tell me to put on a mask in your store and it's your, your business, then Hey, I'll put it on. No problem.
0: Yeah. Me too. Same way. I, I will tell you though. I also draw the line when people um, go to like, like a high and mighty, like they want to, like they want to go past a polite request. Right. Um, sure. And when they go to like a, uh, an ugly place with it. Right. And then, then, and then, then I'll, then, then I'll probably, I'll still put on my mask. Right. But then I'll draw the line. Like, like, kind of checking that line, like, like this is not, you don't need to go further than this. There's not. There's, well, and know. I
1: think we both know that that request really isn't about you, Dutch. Yeah. That's about them, right? That's about an, an insecurity or a pain that they're carrying, and they need somebody else to be in that insecurity or pain with them. So- you know, I just, I try, so I fail, right? I'm a human being, but I try to have compassion for that person in that moment and going, wow, this is a really broken person or really someone who's really hurting. That's why they're taking that, you know, vicious stand or really needing me to get onto their team for that minute or whatever it is. That's not about me. That's about them.
0: And sometimes they're, they need something to fight for, right? Like they have something in their life, like they need a cause, right? And they haven't been given or they haven't found a more worthy cause or a stronger cause. Right. And so they need a cause. And I mean, that part of it, you can have for sure. Right. But yeah.
1: That's too bad. Cause there's a lot of great stuff to fight for out there.
0: <laughs> a lot of, a lot of great stuff. Um, I think for me, when it comes to me personally, I can like, it is what it is. Right. But when I see it with my kids, like if we're, or I see it with my wife, right. Like we are at Zion national park, um, last week. And, uh, a park ranger said to us, uh, young woman right <clears throat> we have our, our dog she's a service dog and she said can i pet your dog and we're like <clears throat> excuse me vanessa was like sure and 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 the lady's like well then that's not a service dog if, if i can pet her she's not a service dog <laughs> and and you can't get on our shuttles if it's not a service dog because we don't allow dogs on our shuttles right and like she's like baited and then she went for it and i was just like like then every hair on the and i'm like oh standing over here and i hear it over here and i'm just like and then I just started in, started in like like you're you're a terrible person to go about it that way, and you need to walk yeah. away from me and my family, and yeah. you need to go get a supervisor. Um, yeah, that's not and, fair. And then but I didn't I didn't pursue her down to her supervisor, and even though you could, but I didn't I don't chase it any further. But yeah, it's it's a weird, it's a weird. I mean, it's good it it's good in the sense that there's enough people that have enough passion to do something about it. If it could be redirected, like if you could redirect cancel culture. In the right right path, it could be kind of an amazing amazing feat, right? If it could be redirected, because a lot of people just hate on cancel culture, or they say, I hate cancel culture, or cancel culture sucks, or here's what's wrong with it, right? But they don't talk about, like, the good part of it is that people are extremely passionate, and they're willing to do something. Like, how much apathy have we seen in the world where people aren't willing to do anything?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I think that you're, you're so right about those, those pendulums. For a long time, there was a lot of apathy and people didn't care about anything. And now they care so strongly about something that, you know, in the grand scheme of things probably shouldn't matter that much. And I'm not, you know, denying or, or denouncing people's beliefs. I think it's great to feel passionate about things. But I think you're right that what if we could take that passion and redirect it towards something that, that really, really matters. Mm-hmm.
0: It's um like when you look at the the Me Too movement, right? And like when you take Bill Cosby and the, the atrocities or, or Weinstein and the atrocities or Epstein, right? And the atrocities, hopefully I got all, yeah, I got all those names right. You got to right? yeah. make sure I don't accuse somebody else, right? And they're at the extreme, the worst, the absolute yeah. you know, pinnacle of the worst. And you take a guy who says something stupid, right? And you put them in the same category like those are two very different like whole like it's a these, this slope. category you belong life in prison right yeah this category you need to be educated and you need to improve as a person right but you don't need your life destroyed right it's they're kind of like they're, they're they're different they're different worlds but obviously this person has to be willing right to see to see to see that that shift or change but i was well, listening. There's an- there's Go an ahead. art of
1: discernment, right? There's mm-hmm. an art of discernment. It's it's the same type of person that says, um, oh, I bought a real estate. I bought a property once. Sucked. The tenant was terrible. Had to evict them. Never investing in real estate again. That's just it's really short-sighted and I think that it lacks a lot of discernment and so I think that that's probably what's happening here too you know you're talking about extremes of people some that are truly heinous and horrible and then others that there's there is a a chance to you know rehabilitate or teach that person a different way and we're painting them with the same broad brush and that lacks discernment. And I think that that really cuts off our ability to really, you know, heal or rehabilitate or teach people because you're treating them all as the same and they just aren't.
0: Yeah. I mean, some people just for anybody out there who needs a deeper insight into discernment, right. Um, you know, it's, it's knowing the difference, you know, between when to choose, right. Like we use it in the serenity prayer in my house. Right. So with like my son, he has a very difficult. My older son has a very difficult time of letting go of things, and so, you know, discernment is helping him know the difference between things he can control and things he cannot control, and so he has the discernment, right, to know to know the difference between right. those two things. And I think that's that's huge when you're thinking about like where the world is and the things that we're doing, um, because because people don't use enough discernment. But that's also where cancel culture comes more in the youth. Than it does in any, because as you're younger, you have less discernment, right? As you get older, yeah there seems to be, you know, I would like to have think that in my twenties, I had great discernment, but I really didn't. Right. Same. And, and I'm sure 20 years from now, oh, I'll have a lot better so discernment dumb. than now. So,
1: yeah.
0: Um, so what was one of the dumbest things you ever did in your life since you said you were so dumb?
1: Oh man. Um,
0: I got I got buddy over here. He started laughing. He's like, I can't believe Dutch asked that question. <laughs>
1: so, <laughs> so, you, you always, know,
0: you can always I, delete it. If yeah, I, I
1: didn't think that this was dumb at the time, but now looking back on it, I think it was pretty short sighted. So, you know, when I was going to college when um, uh, Bush Jr. was the president. And that was after September 11th. And when we were going into um Iraq, um, even though later it was discovered there was no weapons of mass destruction. And I totally did one of those 1960s esque protests where in college, where like it was just a bunch of college kids laying on the ground, symbolizing like dead bodies or something like that. Looking back on it now, I mean, you know, and I thought I was so high and mighty, so self righteous. I was going to show the man, you know, how, you know, we're so against this war. and you know, now looking back on it, uh, I, I mean, I was glad to participate in it. It was something I, I learned from, but I think that it was um, could be really conveyed as as disrespectful to our armed forces who that's their job, you know, is to is to provide uh, safety and protect our country. I just wasn't thinking about them. I wasn't really thinking about the people of Iraq or that might have been affected by the other part of the war. I was just there to prove a point. So I think that that speaks to what you were talking about with the discernment. I just I had this much you know, for those of you that are listening and not and not watching it, I have just at my you know, thumb and forefinger an inch apart. I had this much, you know, wisdom on what I thought I was accomplishing. And it was really it was all about me. I was proving a point to the man rather than, you know, really learning how can i make my voice heard in a meaningful way how can i be looking at all sides of this issue even then to to decide what my opinion was i only was interested in confirmation bias i was only interested in you know hearing the side that would further promote my agenda right what i was trying to prove rather than hearing all sides or or learning who might be affected other than just my own opinion
0: it's interesting you know now you're still an activist, though, right? It's just a very different type of activism. Sure. Like, it doesn't stop. Like, I was at, like, when I was at the the charity dinner, right? I was, you know, my wife has gotten extremely, deeply involved, and there's a lot of other people involved, and they're like, do you want to, like, would you, would you want to volunteer? Do you want to volunteer? Do you want to help? And I'm like, no. And they're like, wow, that's a pretty strong answer. And I'm like, like, the things I believe in in life, like, I believe my God-given ability is to, build wealth grow wealth and and if 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 god calls me to help a cause right now right it might be to give my voice to it but uh, but more than anything it's to donate right to invest you know and give money to to important causes and those kind of things right and that's just where i am right in my life and different things but it was it's it's interesting because because you know we don't stop being activists right? um but it's it's like activism changes or it shifts over the years in, in different ways like i don't know that i could ever be a like Ben Shapiro's like an example of someone who's a constant activist right or yeah. there's there's different activists that are out there that constantly are running that hard game I'm, I sometimes wonder where he'll be in 10 years though right with his activism and how it shifts or changes you know cuz that lifestyle of of you know conference to conference or speaking engagement to speaking engagement to to you know conflict to conflict right like like it it gets tiring you know, having traveled and spoken you know, around the world, like it gets tiring, but I mean, maybe it feeds him, you know, which is a whole different game, right? If you're passionate about it and it feeds you, it's a different, different kind of, different kind of conversation. Oh.
1: Absolutely. And I think it's almost kind of like, you know, the way I think about it, hopefully as we grow and evolve and, you know, learn from our experiences, it's like starting out with like a fire hose of water and you're just sort of spraying your ideas and activism at everyone, right? Anyone that'll listen, even if they don't want to listen, you get up in their face and you should tell them what you think. But then hopefully as we, you know, grow and learn from our experiences, our failures, our our, our successes, we can hone that activism so that it's really you know going after causes and and beliefs that that are really near and dear to us you know i think back you know we were talking about doing things that when we were younger i think back then i didn't really know I, i didn't really know what was truly important to me everything was important to me i was you know 20 years old i was just ready to give my opinion on everything and now i'm 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 much more Um, comfortable with hanging back and saying, Oh, gosh, I don't have an opinion on everything. And that makes my opinions that I do have on causes that I believe in much more solid for me. Mm
0: -hmm. It's, it's interesting, you know, as the world shifts, and as we shift, and as we change and different things, right, like our beliefs, they become stronger. But I also say that there's things for me over the years, right, that have shifted, right. And, and so like my continuing beliefs shifting, right? I think there was the indoctrination I had growing up, right? And there's the indoctrination I had growing up. And then there's the life experiences where I didn't pay attention to really like my political beliefs or different. Things. I just focused on my life, right? Sure. And then as I got older, now I start to, there's like new, there's a new set of beliefs that emerge over the years, like the core beliefs of like how you treat people, how you handle people, how you deal with people what people are, right, and stuff. A lot of those things have, have never really changed for me, right? And how yeah. I, you know, work at things and and what I believe in doing doing for other people. But my beliefs on what the world is has changed a lot. So I had a a brain thought, right? And I was thinking about crypto. And okay. because it's, everybody's talking about it all the time, right? So mm-hmm. like my brother-in-law is talking about it all the time. And then my wife started getting, you know, started investing on one of the, the crypto things one of the the, like the coinbase or something like Mm -hmm. that one of the channels and then one of one of my team members uh michael carter was just constantly on me like dutch i just want to like let me trade like let me can i can we have a little money to trade or different things right because you know with our funds right and so i gave him a little bit of money to trade you know and and it's just like everybody's always about it and i'm on our idaho retreat and i'm thinking about crypto because someone brought it up one of the investors brought it up and for some reason I, I thought to myself, I said, like, crypto could be, and maybe you could tell me I'm completely wrong, right? Because I don't know squat about it. But could, could crypto be the, like, the devaluation of the dollar, like the value of the wa- dollar as a worldwide currency, right? The value of the dollar in markets and the value of the dollar even here in the United States, right? Could crypto taking over as a world currency, right? Or as a one world currency, could it take away from the value of the dollar, in the world. Is that is that something that, that that could happen, you know, if crypto continues to emerge as, as like a worldwide strong strongest currency?
1: Yeah, well, there's a lot of layers to what you were just proposing. So um, you know, the US dollar as the global reserve currency, it's you know, your podcast is hard money. And the US dollar is not hard money anymore. It's not. Mm -hmm. Um, It's easy money. It's also known as fiat money. And fiat comes from the Latin word of, you know, nothing. So what -hmm. that means is the U.S. dollar is really backed by nothing. And since August of 1971, when President Nixon closed the gold window, which meant that you could no longer trade a dollar for its equivalent in gold, right? The United States um, dollar used to be backed by gold. And that was part of the reason why it was You know, going to be the global reserve currency. It was sound money. But after August of 1971, when Nixon closed the gold window, the US dollar became a fiat currency. And, you know, fiat currencies typically have um, about a 40 to 75, maybe 100 year lifespan before they fail. Fiat currencies have a 100% failure rate historically. And And this year, we
0: live in faster times than ever.
1: Correct. And Mm -hmm. this year, the US dollar as a fiat currency turns 50 years old. And the purchasing power, there's all kinds of graphs that I'm sure your team can pull up and things for the show notes that show that the purchasing power of the dollar has really just fallen off of a cliff since it lost its gold backing. So there's a lot of layers to this question, right? You know, the US dollar right now as a global reserve currency, I think that there's a lot of people that are starting to question. How much longer it can remain the basis of the U- of the global reserve currency? And there's a lot of arguments that it that it might not make it. Now the question becomes, will it be another country's currency? Will the yuan, for example, replace the dollar as the global reserve currency? or will there be something different? Um, you know, many economists believe that, um, and you know specifically our founder and my husband Jeff Neighbors, has often said, the first country, that ties their currency to Bitcoin will become the world's reserve currency or become the world's soundest currency. And because Bitcoin has innate scarcity built into it, right? That's one of the tenets of sound money. It needs to have a limited supply, which Bitcoin has. So if there's a country that ties their currency to Bitcoin, I think that could fairly immediately um, be this, the world's soundest or strongest. I'd want to buy some Bitcoins takeover. the
0: day before they did that. though.
1: Yeah, right. Well, you know, we don't know what day that might happen. So the, the, the thought is to get some Bitcoin into your portfolio now, you know, in, in preparation of, of that potentially happening in the future. But um, I think, you know, th- the issue is, Dutch, that that moving from soft, soft money or easy money that we have now back to hard money it's going to be painful. It's going to be painful for people. We've lived in inflationary fiat currency times for a long time. There's generations of people throughout the world. I mean, I'm going to be 39 in July. I've only ever known the US dollar as a fiat currency. So moving back to a hard money, it's going to be, I think, a difficult transition for people. But I think if there's a way to do it with minimal, you know, bloodshed or, you know, avoiding an extinction level event for our, our um, humanity, then I think it it has to happen at some point. Cause I, I don't think that the path that we're on right now is sustainable.
0: I was just thinking like, there's an old poster we have on the wall here for, for hard money. I'll try and show it to you. Right. Yeah.
1: Let me see. It's,
0: it's, it's over there. For, yeah. For hard money, yeah. Right? I love that. When Dreams constantly- don't
1: work unless, what does that say? Dreams don't work unless you do. Yes. I love unless it.
0: And that's like when we first had a concept for hard money um, a long time ago when we um, were putting together a trailer for a a TV show and different things, right? And so Mm -hmm. that's when that poster was created. But I'm thinking like the future, the next hard money poster is going to need digital currency on there, not just dollars, right? And different things. Absolutely. I was like, so with that said, if you go like down that trail, right? If as countries, if the world goes to digital currency, right do countries start to lose some of their individual sovereignty right or is that part of the push if you said that the world the world bank right is 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 behind that conspiracy theory of a one world government right does the push to cryptocurrency kind of a part of that you know a part of that that does it back those arguments i guess is it maybe it is or maybe it's not i don't know is it does you it know, push down that path
1: you know i think that something that many people don't realize about bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies is part of what makes you know some not all crypto are is like this but bitcoin in particular and other cryptocurrencies they are decentralized which means that anyone One can run a what they call a node, right? It's a computer program. Essentially, anyone can run a computer program and essentially kind of be your own bank, exactly. So, we have the opposite right now, where right now we have, we even say it, it's a central bank. You know, this is a centralized. Uh, organization in the United States, that's the Federal Reserve, they are the arbiters of monetary policy. You know, They're the ones deciding how much money to print, how much money is going to be in circulation. With something like Bitcoin and other, not all, but other cryptocurrencies, part of what adds to their value is an innate scarcity or a limited supply and a decentralization. There's no single point of failure. If, for example, China's mining rigs go offline, which a lot of people were recently freaked out about, guess what? China is not the only people in the world mining Bitcoin. There's thousands and thousands of other miners all around the world. So that decentralized nature, I think, spreads out that risk and that control. It becomes a truly free market where if you know, there was a, a one world government that was trying to create one one world currency, if they allow it to be something like a cryptocurrency on a blockchain, and even if they said, everyone has to start using this, everyone has to buy it, well, it would be really easy to get onto that blockchain and then trade that into Bitcoin or trade that into another cryptocurrency. I think at this point, we've had so much institutional adoption, hedge funds, pension funds, You know, public companies putting things like Bitcoin into their corporate treasury, the toothpaste is out of the tube at this point. So, I do think that some sort of a digital currency is inevitable. It's we live in a digital world, you know, it's 2021. We're on a computer, you and I, right now, having this discussion through the internet. So, a digital currency, I don't think is necessarily something to be feared. It just means that the dollar is going online and maybe it's time for that to happen anyway.
0: As a crypto noob, right? I'm a crypto noob, right? And um, I mean, I understand money. I understand acceleration of money. I understand how to make money, right? And those kind of things. But as a, as a crypto noob, right? The thoughts that come to mind, right? Is one, like if there was a hard changeover, right? I would have to think with any hard changeover in life, there's chaos, right? And so the chaos and within chaos, there's fraud, right? And I'm not talking about the fraud of like Joe Schmo. Right, trying to defraud Bitcoin because we're past that already. You know, like the guy on the street trying to create his own, you know, different things. Like I I mean, I maybe you tell me I'm wrong. Are are we past that? I think we are.
1: Yeah, I, I think that we're past that at this point. You know, um Bitcoin, the, the 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 what they call the Genesis block, the sort of the first Bitcoins that were mined came out in January of two thousand and nine. Um there's developers that are constantly working on the Bitcoin blockchain, um, people trying to hack it, people patching fixes. Um, I think that, you know, at this point, any sort of funny business or double accounting is, is a, is a tiny, tiny, tiny possibility. My um, fear and would and be we have more to look like, at the dollar. It already happens with, with, with the dollar with unlimited yeah, money people. printing.
0: Yeah, you're right. And, but they also, and they also, people do, uh, you know, they, they fake print dollars too. Right. So they Uh, counterfeit, yeah, do counterfeit dollars. Um I'm more my mind is more thinking like what about like state state actors, right? Like China as an example, right? Um if we have a dark, you know, force in against American culture to Americans, right? China's one of them, Russia's one of them, right? And and to a lot of Americans and the Cold War, I think that we are in that that exists, you know, with those countries, right? China buys a massive amount of U.S. real estate, right? And if you're not in the real estate world, you wouldn't see that, but they buy a ton of real estate in the U.S., right? They have a lot of businesses they own, a lot of companies they own, tremendous strong stock positions inside the U.S., right? And I know there's a billion people, but there's also a lot of, an extraordinary amount of money has left China that is in every country in the world, not just the United States, right? And so- to me they weren't a wealthy super rich country 20 years ago maybe they started on that path 10 years ago but now you would look at them and you would say they're they're a fairly wealthy country total GDP total you know different things and and they privatize some things and then they're state-run businesses and different things so I'm more concerned of like fraud from places like that right if we have a one world currency let's say it's Bitcoin right I'm more of concerned like can they operate in a way as as a state actor right when they have you know the smartest minds in the world working because they can force them to in communism right working to hack a system or hack currency because i kind of think they're already trying to hack currency worldwide they're trying to hack you know those some of those things so i don't know what do you what do you think well if there
1: that? was if there was a you know china released Digital currency, then yeah, that could that would I think certainly be a concern that some people mm-hmm. would have. Um, I don't necessarily think that that's a concern with Bitcoin itself because Bitcoin has now been around for 11 years, going on 12 years, right? 2009. 2019, 11 years, um, and uh, 12 years, and um, there's already been, I think, as I mentioned, a lot of people are, there's Bitcoin developers that are working on the Bitcoin blockchain, working to identify potential vulnerabilities and patch them. I think that if there was going to be some sort of a grave um, danger to the Bitcoin blockchain, that's something we would have seen already
0: and but what if you know right right now you can exchange currency on bitcoin right fairly easily any currency you know and a country like china though can produce and create its own money right so um you said the name of their currency earlier um yuan uh, yuan yeah so they can they can basically print as much yuan or create as much yuan within their government as 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 they so choose to and actually the united states can too but i think there's within a totalitarian state within a you know like, like China, right? There's some different decisions that can be made when they decide to try and change something or control something or influence something versus in the United States where um, there's just a lot more checks and balances. You know, even though an executive branch can break checks and balances and, 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 and I think even our Federal Reserve can break checks and balances and kind of do some of their own things very independently, right? So maybe you know, there's the same concerns with other countries as well I just use China because they're the biggest, right, um, population wise, you know, maybe are they bigger than India? Population? But I think
1: what you're I think what you're probably asking, though, is like, well, can't China just, you know, print as many you want as they want and buy and a bunch buy of Bitcoin, Bitcoin and try Bitcoin as to as control well. Bitcoin? So I think that's what you're trying to ask. And, you know, Bitcoin is still, thankfully, a free market. So the there's there's a couple of factors to think about there. First of all, the Bitcoin supply is limited. There's only a finite number of Bitcoin that are mined that is created every Kind of like
0: gold or diamonds. Every
1: week. Yeah, it's actually even more of a controlled structure than that because, you know, with gold, for example, um, there are some that believe that we can mine asteroids in space and find huge caches of gold, which would then plummet the price of gold on Earth because the whole supply and demand would be thrown out of whack. Bitcoin is essentially like a computer program. Just, and I'm not a computer scientist, so I'm not going to be the they best. They just call person. it
0: blood gold and they would just outlaw it. And then <laughs> yeah, they,
1: sure. Um, sure. Exactly. Yeah. But, you, you know, Bitcoin has uh, and again, I'm not a computer scientist. So please, if you're a computer scientist listening, don't don't at me in the comments. I, I'm not I'm not the right person to talk about blockchain and things. I, I'm, I'm just an investor. But um, Bitcoin has built into it scarcity. So you can't force miners to make extra bitcoin you can't force extra bitcoin to come onto the market the only way to get bitcoin is to buy it from other sellers it truly is a free market and we know that there are um, lots of bitcoin investors that they're just not selling i'm not selling my bitcoin is not for sale if you talk to even you know Elon Musk said in his tweet, "Diamond hands, they're not selling." Michael Saylor and uh, the CEO of MicroStrategy, they're not selling. So Bitcoin is truly a free market in that no matter how much yuan China wants to print, they can only buy the Bitcoin that is available for sale on the free market. They can't force more to. And and if they buy
0: what's on the free market, then the price will eventually start to go up by continued. Demand, right? If there's a demand, And then
1: more people are going to want to get into it as well. I mean, this really is a, a, a true free market. The The Bitcoin market doesn't shut down. It's not Monday through Friday from, you know, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. Eastern time. It's 24 7, 365.
0: I Man, it's a fascinating conversation, right? Because you're like, don't, you know, hashtag me or don't at me, right? If,
1: right, <laughs> right?
0: but at the same time, there's levels, right? In anything, right? If, if someone wants to come and Talk real estate with me. There's few people in the world that can can out talk me when it comes to sure. real estate, right? But when it comes to your level, when it comes to crypto, right? I'm down at, at an elementary right or kindergarten level, right? And you're at a level much higher than me. And then obviously there's people at, you know, another level, right? Way higher than me. But I think it's really like I can get a crypto person on that that has great crypto knowledge and talk deep in crypto on a podcast. But I think for an everyday person, they have thoughts about it right as they get deep into it right like 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 your family has right um or or you know but like me who has knows i'm a noob right but i think people have to admit they're a noob at things too though i think that's a real totally. hard thing for some people to do in the world is like like you have to admit when you don't know something because in a way there's no way to learn if you don't admit it
1: Oh, absolutely. You have to start where you are. And I'm constantly learning and, you know, uh, or, or learning that I'm wrong about stuff. I used to be really, you know, upset or afraid of being wrong, but now, you know, I try, I fail sometimes, but I try to welcome, gosh, you know, Rachel, that wasn't the right way to put that. Or gosh, Rachel, you were wrong about that. Let me know so that I can, you know, continue to improve and hone my mind and, and speak more and more clearly.
0: Uh, the, um, it's interesting, like the, uh, because you don't think as deep sometimes when you originally start thinking about a subject, but then as the subject continues to exist and continues to build, like you start, for me, I start to put layers on top of layers and then, and then I, and I continue to continue to learn, but I also kind of let the universe kind of dictate to me, like whether I'm going to continue learning it or not, like, I don't know how you choose to learn things. Right. But for me, like I, if the universe keeps telling me to learn about something, it keeps putting something in front of me then like I decide I'm going to start to dive deeper into that topic. It's like real estate. A lot of people don't know this about me, but I really tried to get away from real estate. Like as hard as I really, heard, like I really didn't want to do real estate. Um, Cause my parents were like these failed addicts, serial real estate entrepreneurs. <laughs> right. And you know, um, I mean, a lot of people know the story. My parents are been dead for, for, for a long time. And dad died when I was 18 and my mom shortly right. after.
1: I'm sorry.
0: And, but there were these serial failed entrepreneur addicts real estate entrepreneurs right and so like for me my whole mindset was like i don't want to do real estate, and i don't want to be an entrepreneur that was like the entire like as i was growing up like i'm gonna get a job i'm gonna do corporate america i'm gonna work my way up the ladder i'm gonna have steady security safety, security. right mm-hmm. and and i have not you know had a job since i was in my 20s <laughs> and and it's interesting because because I fought like heck to get my brother out of corporate America, right? To come on board and work with us. And he did, you know, 20 years of corporate America. And when we were growing up, he was never going to do mm. corporate. He was never going, he was always going to be the entrepreneur. Amazing. And the How did you see yourself when you were growing up?
1: Oh, man. So, um, did you ever read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad? Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Kiyosaki. Mm-hmm. So, love my parents, great people two poor dads, my, you know, I'm the only kid in my family that does not have a master's degree. And, um, my parents were total academics, both of them, college professors, PhDs, multiple masters. So for them, um, you know, the academic work for someone else was always the path in life. And I wandered and, you know, was lost for a while, you know, doing the yoga teacher, traveling around the world. I was in the circus for a while. I was rock climber, all kinds of, you know, weird stuff. And then when I met you were
0: in you were in the circus for a while
1: yes you just, like yeah,
0: slip that in just thought we'd go yeah. right by it <laughs> yeah
1: you know just trying to find my just trying to find my way and well, what, um what was you,
0: your what, what act were you in what role? stilt
1: walking and clowning stilt and some trapeze walking. very cool yeah so um i you know when i met uh has jeff, jeff ever
0: seen you on stilt walking and, and clowning and trapeze he's
1: seen me as a clown sure. yes he's seen me as a clown that's that's true yes but i don't think uh Maybe he's seen me on stilts once or twice, but uh, yeah, and I and and also for for the for those of you that are, are listening and not on video, I'm five feet tall, so to see, a, you know, a five foot tall short little girl on stilts is is pretty silly. But um, so when I met Jeff ten years ago. Um, and he works in you know finance jeff is sort of a boy wonder when it comes to economics he called the real estate bubble in 2006 um, he created the ira association of america in 2003 he brought the solo 401k to market in 2006 he's just he's always been so forward thinking when it comes to economics you know the austrian school of, of economics and you know hard, teaching principles of hard money early, early gold investor, early, early Bitcoin investor. And I just had no clue about any of this stuff, none. I had a degree in theater, you know, from college. I didn't didn't know anything. Um, We met through um, a mutual friend in a marketing mentor. So, um, and you know, this is really, you talk about, you know, the different paths that you go in life. I just really fell in love with finance and I really fell in love with entrepreneurship and it was totally the antithesis to what I grew up with. Cause I grew up with a couple of academics in, you know, the medical field. My mom was a nurse anesthetist. My dad was a pharmacologist. Nobody that I knew, you know, ran their own business. Nobody that I knew was an entrepreneur. Nobody was in finance. It was all just work the corporate job, get the 401k, get the gold watch at the end of 40 years and you're done. So, I really fell in love with entrepreneurship and specifically with finance, you know, going on 10 or 11 years ago, and it's just, I just really feel fulfilled by it. You know, one of my mentors told me, you can hate taxes and love the tax code, and that's something that I've, I've lived by for a long time now.
0: I don't know if I could ever love the tax code. I don't know. Man, there's the so much love. in there.
1: There's so much in there that can really be worked to your benefit. There's a lot I agree. of things. That I just don't know your that your I can
0: use the word love.
1: Yeah. You know, look, the IRS we, and I, we have a, a love hate relationship. Okay. We, we understand that each other exists and we try to let each other live peacefully, but you know, there's, the, especially for, you know, investors and entrepreneurs and small business owners, we often get hammered the worst when it comes to taxes. We really, do even though
0: especially when you don't know
1: oh man and even though small business owners we are the true engine of the U.S. economy the ones that employ the most people that generate a lot of wealth for the United States but we're hammered when it comes to taxes so I think if you can know ways in the tax code that are legal that are compliant that can save you a lot of money then Man, that's just, that's my own. You were talking about activism earlier. That's my own still small revolution that I still, you know, carry with me is how can we be an activist for our, and, you know, have this compliant, legal little revolution of being, having sovereignty over our own money.
0: I, I mean, I just believe we deserve to keep our own money, right? Like, for sure. We You're the so one that worked hard. for it, we're not the IRS. So hard. We're, <laughs> yeah. We're so, but no, nobody's like, like, Tell me a person, right, that, that like you could really legitimately ask a question, look them in the eyes, right, and see if they respond back to you and say, you know what, I think when our government takes on an initiative and they have tons and tons of money, they do it incredibly effectively. Right? <laughs> like I can't think of somebody who would say, yeah, they they totally do, you know, the election polling, you know, they totally build, you know, the roads and the construction, you know, they absolutely like maybe in our safety, right, maybe in the protection of us our military right maybe there's a place where they're they're super effective but it's the difference is the military is fighting for their life and it's independent leadership right And our military that builds our military and grows our military right but at the same time like like we had to right as a country um pull well, together even together in that way but that, that's not government though in the sense it's like a different kind of way of government but
1: well even just look at the coronavirus i believe it was the economist milton friedman who said there's nothing so permanent as a temporary government program mm-hmm. and you know all of this stuff with the coronavirus that has now come out as far as this inflated stimulus and all of this money printing That's not going to stop unless something I think really dire happens. And I know that they're trying to rein it in, you know, originally Biden wanted something like 2.7 trillion in this most or 2.3 trillion, excuse me, in this most recent stimulus package. Then it got down to 1.7. I think they're trying to get it down even further. Um, You know, the government is never going to waste a good crisis.
0: I just think there's so much more we we could have done during coronavirus to improve as a society and as a country, right? And just throwing money at the already existing chaos that we have, it maybe there are some people that helps for sure, right? But at the same time, it, it's not changing the way, we, like you look at, I, I, I said, New York City was was just, just one example, right? Where the kids got sent home, right? And, and i like, well, what do you expect parents to do who need to work, right? And don't have proper childcare, right? And so then they sent parents like two grand, a piece or something you know as a part of the stimulus that was one of the stimulus and i look at it and i'm like why not create a whole new job sector and and put kids into pods and create these new teachers with new jobs who couldn't have jobs before right and create you know online training programs to get people up and running and now there's child care and small pods and you create like we had a coronavirus pod you know mm-hmm. when when you know there was there was uh we have our my boys have two other cousins that are the same age within you know 10 minutes you know was they had one friend right and so there was you know the five boys you know um and and two little sisters but yeah you know but that was their pod you know and that was you know when when we were in the hardest part of lockdown when there was just so many things unknown
1: especially in california
0: yeah they they wanted to scare you to death here for sure. Um,
1: well, look, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not a politician. I don't envy their job. I have no idea what it's like to govern 350 million people. I think we can all agree there's never going to be one perfect solution for trying to figure out how to take care of 350 million people. There just and isn't.
0: And everybody wants to put it on a president, right? And I'm and I'm thinking to myself, I don't know what person in the world could have made good decisions to make people happy during the last 12 months before we you know shifted over to Biden. There was right? no
1: winning in that yeah. situation.
0: And I'm not being for or against what Trump did during coronavirus, right? What I'm saying is like I don't know any human being who could have made the right decisions through that process because you have 50 governors all with their own suddenly their own sovereign countries, right? Right. Which we haven't had in a very long time, by the way, right. in the United States. I mean, when was the last time that governors had real power?
1: Not in my lifetime. I mean, I actually thought it That's was incredible. I no, I think I thought actually thought it was incredible. You know, to see some of the states being able to make some of their own decisions. You know, like like I just said, there is no perfect solution for trying to govern 350 million people. It's just it's so much. It's so much that I think that you know you were talking about. Um, activism and volunteering and giving back in your local community, that is a, such a great place to start, starting in your own community, starting in your own town, in your own city, in your own state, you can find, I think that your voice is really heard. Whereas I think that if you're trying to, you know, talk to the federal government, you're often just yelling into the void.
0: So for and like, you can't have the same rules. So like New York city is a very different world than Tampa, Florida or Miami, Florida. And, and like how something that's a public health issue affects somewhere where it's sunny and humid every day of the world to a place that has a lot more wide open space, to a place that is congested and, and large, tall buildings and people on top of people and that is very cold during the winter are going to be two different, completely different, you know, situations. And yeah, sure. that's why they needed to be able to have separate separate rules or separate, separate ways of dealing with it. I don't know. And people being able
1: to have the freedom to go where they want, right? I I really am. I'm a true proponent in voting with your dollars. So, and I think we've seen this, right? This exodus of people leaving California, leaving New York. There was so many really powerful shifts that happened um, with this pandemic. I think it really you know, kicked our butts into the digital age working from home or giving people the ability to work from home some days a week is is fabulous. We have all the tools to do it now, and you know, our team um, at Neighbors Group has been virtual for a really long time. Many of our team has been virtual since 2010, 2011, 2012. That's Which been also normal means for people us. people
0: can live wherever they want.
1: Absolutely, exactly. So, if you're living in a state, that you don't necessarily agree with the governance or the way the state's being run. And now you have the freedom to work from home or to work remotely. Then you can also choose vote with your dollars where you want to live and pay taxes as well.
0: I now have an Idaho driver's license. There you go. As of last week. Mm -hmm. Awesome.
1: Hey, congratulations.
0: So that's, that's very different, different thing. Yeah. We bought a farm and, and that's, you know, part of, part of, part of a changing life for us for sure, because there's no need to be in, uh, where, where I've lived for a long time in Southern California and not agree with some of the different rules and policies, but government, government changes Right. And so in so many ways, right. What the Democrats were 50 years ago, the Republicans, you know, might be, you know, 20 years later. And then 20 years later, the Democrats might be. And, you know, like, like these all, all these politics run in cycles. Right. So, you know, Democrats had it good in the sense of with Obama could have probably gotten reelected four times. Right. <laughs> and he would have continued because, because people loved him. Right. Enough people loved him is what I should say. Right. Sure. But then they got lazy when it came to Trump. Right. Cause they didn't take him seriously. Yeah. Right. But then what sucks about that for Republicans is that Trump pisses off the opposition enough where they get really passionate. Right. And they mm. got really passionate about beating it. Right. And, and like, so you'll see these, these cycles and, and, and like, we'll see different cycles. And so I think, you know, even with the current cycle, you'll see another swing, right? And that's why our it seems like you know, every you know, four to eight years, our, our political structure in America changes dramatically because of how, how things shift and change. So, for you, you know, as you're going through this navigation, right, and your love of the tax code, right? Um, hate quickly, taxes, love the tax code. What are the things people don't know, right? Because there's so many things when it comes to wealth and money that I realize. And there's things that I pick up on. Like a crazy one recently for me is being in real estate as long as I, I have, I, I've done very little with depreciation with our funds, right? Um, With like my own personal real estate, and my own personal properties I own and different things, right? But we haven't really done a lot of depreciation, you know, with, within our private equity funds and within our REIT and different things. And there are places where we're, where we account for it, but we have you know, mi- mi- tens of millions of dollars of depreciation that we don't, you know, take into account, you know, in, 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 a, normal, in a normal year. And, and so we've been working really hard lately. How do I pass that on to our investors? How do our investors take advantage of that within our REIT and the depreciation and stuff? But, you know, that's me being at an, a very high level, advanced level when it comes to real estate, right? I mean, managing a lot of money, but I still was, you know, not seeing that piece of it, right? For our investors, right? And so, for you, what are the things people don't know? I think it's really important because there's so many unknown things.
1: Well, um, I'll first say that I am—I'm not a, a CPA, so um, I can only share my knowledge as having worked in the field, you know, for the last decade or so and as an investor. And my expertise really lies in retirement planning. So specifically um, rules and regulations around tax codes for people that have IRAs and 401ks. I'm also a real estate investor personally with non-retirement funds, but my my expertise and really my passion lies in helping entrepreneurs, small business owners and investors utilize their retirement funds through various IRA and 401k structures to be able to shelter a lot of money from taxes and to be able to use their IRA and 401k funds to invest in alternative assets like real estate. I think if you talk to most people on the street, they wouldn't know that they can use their IRA to invest in your fund. They just think, you know, oh, an IRA has to get invested in Wall Street. You have to put a 401k in the stock market. And that's just not true. There's a lot I of think other that's, options available. that's
0: the one we hear more often than anything else is that like, People don't know that they control their retirement funds, that totally. someone else isn't. I mean, there are times when people are stuck within corporations, corporate America, and a corporation is in charge of a specific retirement asset, right? And there's not something they can do about that. Maybe there is more they can do about that. And you could say that, um, but, but most of the time, people with IRAs or 401ks don't know, you know, as they've switched companies and they, you know, have their own, like that they have control. Over it or they can take control. It might be more that they need to take control of it. Is that how you would put it or
1: yeah, definitely. I think that's a great way to put it. I think that for for most people, you know, you know, we were talking about like the pod for the boys and stuff, you know, education is something that I think most people are on autopilot with, they just take what's given to them. And there's a lot that you can do, especially now with access to the internet, there's a lot you can do to create your own education. And financial education is something, I mean, I don't know about you, but in school, I was never taught that real estate or tax liens or tax deeds was even an option for me as an investor, we were literally given a newspaper told, you know, in 11th grade, you know, econ class or something, we we're given a newspaper told to choose, you know, circle three stocks. And we would follow those stocks for the next 30 days. And that's what you learn about investing in high school. But there's so much more to that. So I that's think a lot if,
0: more than I learned about oh investing in high school. We didn't, you know, really didn't get that. Oh I man! Know the stock market was even mentioned when I was in high school. You know, I'm not much older than you. I'm only <laughs> like two years older than you.
1: There's just there's so I much went there. to a
0: better school than me.
1: And I grew up in L.A. I went to L.A. Unified School District. So, I mean, man, public schools, you know, there's just our financial education. I, and I think, you know, throughout the nation, um, we're not we're not empowering young people to be investors or to really be able to think outside of the box. Um, and the truth of the matter is that there's a lot of money that can be made and you can really set yourself up for a stronger financial future if you're able to think outside the box a little bit. Now, you have to be willing to stomach the risks with it. You know, you can't be like that one dude that bought one property, had a crappy tenant and gave up real estate forever. You have to be willing to learn from your mistakes, make non-critical mistakes with your investments. But there's just there's a lot of ways i think you can really empower your own financial future if you think outside the box
0: so for me with my kids right so yeah everything's in buckets right and so tony the older one recently said to me so i make him give me money for an investment right you're investing with daddy right and the other day we're at uh the uh dollar dollar store right mm-hmm. we're picking up batteries right and he sees something he saw uh fairy wings right um, and he loves Peter Pan and Tinker Bell and, and the whole thing right he's like yeah like, so, so daddy, can I get some of my investment back to buy those things <laughs> right? so, yeah it's interesting yeah we That's everything's great. buckets for us with the kids so they have their 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 high risk bucket and then their their investment bucket and then their their to buy what I want bucket and different things so we give them money and then they save up but they always find more money than we give them in different ways but yeah and they're good at now they're good at decent at getting money my younger son's better at getting money from people, he'll tell people he wants money for, for uh, for his birthday, because he'd rather uh-huh. buy the stuff he wants, right? right? Than
1: get the presents. He's just like he's just starting a, his own little fund.
0: Okay. So it's interesting. Um, for people, when it comes to like four hundred one ks or or IRAs, what what are the, what are the, what are the tools? What are the tools? Because they got to be able to use their own money to invest. They have to. Yeah. Because the difference between a five percent return retirement or a three percent or one percent return retirement and a fifteen percent or a twenty percent or identity higher, it's, right? It's
1: life changing. And guys. it is out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think that, you know, you you kind of had a magic word in there, which is, you know, controlling their own retirement. So that's something that we really specialize in is something called checkbook control. And it basically means you're not handing your money over to somebody else. You're in charge of your own money. So you get to find and make the investments that make sense for you. Um, There's two types of checkbook control retirement plans that we specifically help people with. One is a checkbook IRA. Anybody can have that. If you've got an IRA or a Roth IRA, we can help you turn that into a checkbook IRA, and then you get that money in your control. You literally have a bank account with your IRA or your Roth IRA money in it, and you can choose where those funds are invested. So you can buy Bitcoin, you can invest in real estate, you can invest in real uh, real estate funds, in REITs, in PE funds, and stocks and bonds, but you get to be in charge of how that money is invested. That's the checkbook IRA. Then there's something called a solo 401k, and that's for small business owners. And the reason why I bring that up is I think especially now after coronavirus, more people are striking out on their own and doing their own thing as a small business owner. And this, you know, when I was growing up, a small business owner meant like you had your own shop, right? You had a store or you had employees or something like that. But in 2021, being a small business owner can mean you're driving Uber, you're driving Lyft, you're doing virtual assistant stuff online and getting 1099, you're a hairdresser, you're a blogger, you got an Amazon store. All that means you're a small business owner and then you can do something like a solo 401k and get access to those same checkbook control investments like getting into real estate and tax liens and deeds and stuff like that.
0: Cool. what do you think that for people that as they're investing, right, are the biggest things they should look out for danger wise? Because I see, like, give you your own control, right? Now you're in control to make it or control it, to screw yourself. To
1: ruin everything. Yeah. 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 I think that finding mentorship is really important. So, you know, you want to be diligent about what you're investing in. Don't just give your money away to people. Look at the results that they have and see if those people have the results that you want to emulate. Um, it's not just about Googling how to invest in real estate. You know, It's finding someone like you, Dutch, that does a lot with education, that teaches people, that guides them in from the finish line, that can say like, here's where I've been and here's the results that I've gotten that can back that up with numbers. I think that that is really important, education, um, You don't have to go slow per se, but you don't want to rush into things, especially if you're a new investor. And I think it's also really important to understand where your risk tolerance is, because a lot of people haven't really thought about this. So, um, you know, for all that I say and love about Bitcoin, I tend to be a very conservative investor. Um, for a really, really long time, I was really heavy into gold because I just wanted to be like Scrooge McDuck and sit on a pile of gold coins and never have to worry about, you know, asset values going down. I didn't want to have to deal with any volatility. Yeah, I just had a
0: picture of you on stilts in a clown suit swimming <laughs> through Scrooge McDuck's pile of yes, gold coins. Yes, swimming through so, the
1: gold vault, gold coins vault. Yeah, just like Scrooge big McDuck. Red nose. He was my, yeah, totally. He was my, uh, you know, who I emulated growing up. But, you know, over the years, uh, I've become more comfortable with taking a bit more risk and something. I mean, Bitcoin is kind of the opposite spectrum, right, of gold. It's extremely volatile. We just showed uh, had a, you know, a week ago, I'm not sure when the podcast will go out, but in mid-May, we had a 30% crash in a day. That is unheard of, really, in real estate, in gold, in, in stocks, bonds, in any other asset class. A 30% crash in a day would be like totally unheard of. And it actually is not uncommon in Bitcoin. It happens. We get these spectacular crashes. It might go and up 20% correction. the next day. Exactly, exactly. So I think that if you're a new investor... The really the two big things to do are education. You know, find someone that a mentor or um, someone that you feel comfortable emulating their results. Verify they have the results that you want. But you know, find someone who can guide you in from the finish line and understand your risk tolerance. Know what you feel comfortable with. If you are uh, more risk averse you're more conservative then the amount you should put into Bitcoin is smaller it's tinier if you are maybe younger or have a, a more aggressive risk profile you know you got 20 30 40 years of earning ahead of you well maybe you're going to be willing to take a bit more risk than the person that's 50 60 70 years old know thyself and know where you are when it comes to risk those are my two takeaways for new investors
0: one of my things is like I and this is goes against almost every financial expert, right. That I've ever listened to or wanted to learn from it. Like every, almost every single one disagrees with me. Right. And I always say like to people, like if you only have $5,000 to invest, right. I say, don't invest it in blockchain or, or I'm sorry, crypto or real estate or anything. Right. I say, use the money to expand your ability to earn. Right. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and like people, Like a lot of people would be like, no, they need to start saving 10% and they need to be doing this. So I'm like, so if i save 10% of that 500 bucks, like even if I get a hundred percent return for the next 10 years, 500 bucks, isn't going to do anything for me. Right.
1: This is, this is really, really, really smart. I'm really glad that you're saying this and this kind of dovetails in with what we were talking about earlier about how almost anyone can be a business owner these days. If you look at the most successful people you'll find that the majority of their wealth does not necessarily come from investment earnings, but it comes from business ownership. Um, You know, even if we're looking at these hedge fund managers who have billions and billions of dollars, it's because they are successfully running a business, right? Warren Buffett is running a business, running Berkshire Hathaway. Um, It is his investments, of course, that have made giant returns, but it is his active running of that business, doing the research in running that business that is creating a lot of wealth. And I think that you'll find that with many of the billionaire stories, it's the their business ownership, not just their passive investments that are what really contribute to a lot of their their wealth accumulation.
0: And so for me, like once you expand your ability to earn, now you'll have more money to in- invest. But if all totally. you have is this to in- invest, you've not expanded your ability. And so then you're stuck, right? And now you have a savings account, but you're not expanding your ability to make more money, right? There's different ways to make more money, right? There are people who climb corporate ladders, and, and they continue to make more money, right? Um, you know, we have a, a young person in, in our company, you know, who's, who's you know, you know going to make a 100 grand this year. And he, you know, six, 12, six months ago, he was making $30,000 a year, right? But he had goals, so and cool. he had matrices. And I'm not talking about a salesperson, right? Because that's, that's different when someone does sales, and they're able to earn higher incomes, right? And I always believe, oh, if you don't know how to sell, you should learn how to sell. No matter who you are in the planet, no matter what your job is, like, if you want to continue to climb and make more money, you should need to understand people. It's not even about knowing how to sell. It's about knowing what people are and who people are. Right.
1: And not all sales are icky. I think a lot of times people think, uh, sales, because they really equate it to like the high pressure that icky feeling sales.
0: There's at least sales one is... programmer or engineer listening right now. I'm like,
1: sure. But know. hey, guys, if you're out there, the ones and zeros people, you know, sales is the exchange of value. It's value for value. So you are delivering value to your customer or your buyer and receiving value back in the form of dollars. So it's about learning value exchange.
0: So- that's one for me, right? That's one of my yeah, and then I love it. One of my second, like another one, an easy one, right? If somebody's rushing you, don't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's trying Smart. to speed you up, trying to get you to invest, trying to put a time frame on you, trying to rush you, just just don't do it. Smart. Right? Agreed. Um, and then and then number three, like do real due diligence, right? And so, like for me, like we had an investor who invested with us, right? Alberto, right? And 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 I like Alberto a lot. He's been investing with us for years, right? but he wanted to come to our offices. Right. And I think that's great to meet him in person is awesome. But meeting me in person or trying to get your read on me as a person is not doing due diligence. Right. Like your own gut may lie to you, no matter how good you are, your own gut may lie to you. Right. Now, this is, you know, maybe not PC, but like I trust a woman's gut more than I trust my own gut when it comes to no. Right. And so there's women in my life, like my business partner, Amy, or my wife, Vanessa. Right. That would say, my gut tells me this is wrong, and then it's just wrong, and I don't do it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, just accept that. But don't like, don't trust your gut. Yes. Trust your gut. No. Right. If your gut's a hardcore no, then it's a no. But don't trust your gut. Yes. Do real due diligence. So Alberto came to our office, and, and I love him to death, but he knocked on our neighbor's doors. Right. Um, and so of our business. So the one on the left is a drywall company, and the other one's a kitchen re- remodeling company right to our left and right knocked on their doors and talked to them right and asked questions about us and yes you can learn something from that right but real due diligence is on us it's going on the sec website it's figuring out who our auditors are and doing a little research on our auditors to make sure you know our auditors are legitimate and you, you start to see like there's a track record history right there's 100 year businesses that went out of business right and so everything there's always risk you know like Lehman and Bear Stearns you know big part of the crash in 08 or you know you started in 06 but the crash you know happened to in fail, right
1: but they were
0: right oh you, i get that you'd be amazed how many platforms I talk to for our fund and we're getting to a point now where like platforms are talking to us differently than they were 12 months ago but 12 months ago they kept, they would say to me you're not too big to fail we mm-hmm. can't put you on our platform yet cuz you're not too big to fail and i'm thinking mm-hmm. to myself too big is how people fail in different ways, but yeah. So it's interesting, you know, as you do, but do real due diligence, right? So for like us, how long has a company been in business? Have they ha- owned other companies? Are those other companies still in existence, mm-hmm. right? Are there true licenses? Are there certifications? Are there legitimacy behind what they are as, as a business, right? And, and and you have to be a little bit patient and do a little bit of due diligence, right? And you could even, I mean, no, I know it sounds crazy, but you could even hire someone For 500 bucks or a thousand bucks to do real due diligence. And if you're going to go invest $100,000 and you spend 500 bucks to do real, legitimate due diligence, now you're not putting it at that kind of risk. Right. And, but all the time, people are like, well, you can borrow money from your neighbor to start a business or, or you can go talk to your, you know, brother to get money to do your first real estate investment and stuff. And I'm not against that kind of thing, but there's a difference between the person who's trying to borrow money from you. Right. And if you're doing it as a gift, because that's when my if I'm going to loan money to a family member, it's a gift. Right. And if it comes back to me, then awesome. If it doesn't come back to me. I'm probably less likely to loan the money the second <laughs> time, but I'm not going to end the relationship and ruin the relationship. Right. So I don't know. Just a couple of my thoughts. Thoughts on Yeah, that. I
1: think I think that that's great. And I mean, you were also just saying, like, as far as the due diligence, do they really have the results? Can they deliver on the results? Do they have the results that you're looking for as an investor?
0: Oh, and I leave people with richest man in Babylon, right? That's, that's one of my corner, Bible, richest man in Babylon are two of my cornerstones when it comes to money. Handling wealth, different things. So um, I, I think there's, for me, like when I started looking at only invest with people who have a track record and history of success and what you're yeah. investing with them in, it's huge. Like I've seen people who have success like over here, like I'm a successful pool you know, salesman and I've made you know a 100,000, I've put away some money and saved money. But now I'm gonna go be a cryptocurrency trader. Um, you should give me some money to go tr- play trade cryptocurrency. I'm kind of like, ah, yeah. Let him go do it for a while and have some success before. So, but Definitely. I think Rachel, I think we're kind of at that point. We went, you know, even longer than we expected. Might even have to find something where I was boring and cut me out. But oh, it was we, so we great to good. chat with you always. It was fun. It's the first time I've gone past an hour and 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 had to look at the time and be like oh, we're we, could keep keep we could keep going could. i had fun um thank you anything else me. like before we jump off that you'd want to share with people um anybody about neighbors specifically you know um you know we don't do you know the hard selling stuff just like you guys don't but but feel free to share anything you want if people are still watching at this point they really want to hear from you so feel free to share whatever you want directly you know about you know you guys's you know, business or company or whatever you want.
1: Sure. Yeah. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about, you know, we talked about the checkbook control, the retirement plans specifically. If you want to learn a little bit more, you can check out our website at solo401k.com. And if you are a real estate investor specifically looking to put your um, retirement funds to work in something like one of Dutch's deals or into real estate, then we have a special link at solo401k.com slash for Rad Diversified.
0: Very cool. Well, thank you. Appreciate you.
1: Yeah, it's good to see you.
0: Thank you for listening to the Hard Money Podcast with Dutch Mendenhall. Don't forget to visit our website, economicactivist.com. That's www.economicactivist.com.